Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Elixir Mix podcast. This week on our panel, we have Justin Bean. Hey there. Josh Adams. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest. That's Brian Joseph. Hi. Now, Brian, do you want to give us a brief introduction? Sure. Uh, my name is Brian Joseph. I work for um, Revelry Labs here in New Orleans, which I'm also from New Orleans. I've been a programmer for about 10 years. And I've gotten to Elixir around 2013 and kind of been in love with it since. Nice. So uh, we brought you on to talk about Elixir Script. You want to give us just a brief rundown of what Elixir Script is for people who aren't familiar with it? Uh, yes. Elixir Script is an attempt to take um, Elixir and compile it to JavaScript so that you can use it in the browser. Very cool. And you just do that through a transpiler? Um, yes. Yeah, so, well, it gets a little complicated. But the way it works now involves taking uh, the Bing files, taking some information out of that, the, basically the Elixir AST, taking that AST, turning it into the JavaScript AST, and then turning that JavaScript AST into JavaScript code. Mm. Yeah, that sounds complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, for the most part, the process is relatively simple, except for, um, I don't know, never mind. <laughs> I mean, you had to write a lot of the uh, standard library, though, right? Oh, yeah. So that's one of the things in the first version of it I had to do. The first version of it was pretty hacky in that um, Elixir script would take actual Elixir files, um, change, take the code, change that into um, the Elixir AST, and then go through that process from there that I described before. Sometime earlier last year, um, 2017, I was talking with uh, with Jose, basically trying to figure out what to do next with things because I kind of hit a I kind of hit a wall um, with that old process, and we talked back and forth. And he mentioned putting the Elixir AST inside of inside of Beam files, um, and so he wrote like this this big like specification, you know, for a change to OTP, and then he made that change to OTP. And then from that point on, in early 20, there's a new part of the beam called, I think it's, uh, I think everybody called it debug chunks. And so within the debug chunks, you can put in, you can put in other things, but for Elixir, Elixir puts in its uh, AST into there, which is the fully expanded AST. Um, so you don't have to worry about macros or anything. All that has been fully expanded. And you can take that and you can do whatever you want to do with it. I saw I saw debug chunks go into OTP. I didn't realize that was like in pursuit of making Elixir script better. Well, I don't know if necessarily was um, that one thing. Um, for for instance, it's used for uh, breakpoints and to give better um, information and better error messages. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, although I mean I didn't know about that part when we when Josie was discussing it. Like when we were first discussing it, and he like made the change. I was like, well, I can't stop making elixir script now i have to do this like he's making all these changes like to, to otp so i guess i'm stuck doing this now so he tricked you he kind of did yeah <laughs> no but it, it turned out really well like it was it definitely made the path to for elixir script to to um you know to go further a lot clearer and it made things relatively easier um there's some there's some new challenges but they seem to be challenges that are easier to to get around. I think. So, what are the what are the um, 
I guess, biggest challenges facing it right now. So with the change, now we have to create like an early incompatibility layer. So um, basically making the early standard library in JavaScript. Um, so that's that's a challenge. And I have an issue in the repo where I went through the entire Elixir standard library and tried to find all of the Erlang standard um, library calls it makes. And so there's a list, there's a repo with, a, uh, I'm sorry, there's an issue with uh, that list so that people can help out and add to it so that we can make more things work. There's questions around like, like IO, like, um, you know, files, those kinds of things. There's always processes, which I've kind of avoided. And then there's usability, which is something I've kind of like taken, take, taken a step back from, from working on Elixir script um, to try to like think about how to make it, I guess, more user-friendly. So when, when we're talking about Elixir script, I'm trying to envision where people are using it. So is it mostly on web applications or are they running this on top of Node or is it something else entirely? You can do it on, on either of those. I don't know um, too many people that, that have been using it, which is another reason why I'm trying to focus on like usability to try to um, see if that's like a reason why people, um, you know, aren't using it because of usability um, issues. Like for instance, we have a channel and the Elixir Lang um, Slack. And I get questions every now and then, and then some of them are like JavaScript-specific questions. And with those, I'm like, technically, this is a problem outside of the scope of Elixir script, but maybe it's something, like it's an opportunity to make things a little bit better so that um, people don't have to have those kinds of issues. So how easy is it to use something like this on top of a front-end library like a React or Angular? So Elixir script, there's kind of a wall like uh, between uh, the JavaScript um, world and the Elixir script world. So, and that wall is the Elixir script FFI. And so when you want to interact with JavaScript libraries or like a JavaScript, uh, even like the, you know, the, uh, the web APIs, you would either, you know, create your own FFI module that has functions, like basically function heads that represent function calls to, in a, to a JavaScript module. Or one of the things you can do now is you can create a, you know, a, a, a hex package. Like you can make a hex package that is a FFI to, to a JavaScript library. For instance, I have one, speaking of React, I have one for React that you can use to create um, UI. You can you create UI with. And I also have one for some of the web APIs in, in the browser as well. So what's the build process like then for Elixir script so that you can run it on other systems? Is, is there a compile step or? Yeah. Um, yes. So um, you would, you use Elixir script with, within an Elixir project and Mix allows you to have like a list of compilers. So actually when you're running, you know, a fresh Elixir project, 
it's actually um, running, it has like a default set of compilers that it uses behind the scenes. And if you're running a Phoenix project, if you look in your mix.exs file at the compilers, um, there's a compilers key in the, in, in, your, in the project, you'll see like Phoenix has a compiler to it. So Elixir script is basically a compiler that you would add to that list. And then you would add some other attributes to your um, project's configuration for like what the entry point uh, modules are so that Elixir script can go through and track what modules are used so that it doesn't get like every single um, module within like Elixir. And then you give it like, you can give it like a, um, an imp like an output where to put things at. And then when you do mix compile, it would run that compiler along with the other ones and you would end up with JavaScript code and whatever the output folder is. And then you just include the output folder, say in your React or Angular or whatever app? Um, yeah, so it creates ES modules. So each, each of your Elixir modules um, pretty much correlate to an ES module. So you can take whatever the entry uh, module, like the ES module is, um, and you can include that into like the entry point to your application or wherever you want to use, you know, Elixir functions. And from there, you just call it just like you would call a standard JavaScript. Yeah, that makes what's, sense. What's the, uh, what's the most ambitious Elixir script project you're aware of? I see that you have a to-do app. Is there a, do you know if someone who's doing something more ambitious with it? I don't know. That's another one of my goals is to actually like make a project that like, you know, is bigger than just a, a to-do application. I integrated it into like one of my like existing projects or whatever so that, you know, there is like a real world example. Right now, I don't know of any. If anybody has any, uh, please let me know. Was there like a pain point that you're trying to solve with this or did you just want to write everything in the stack in one language? Uh, there was no pain point at all. It was more of a curiosity thing. So let me see. This is maybe 2015, I think. I picked up uh, Chris McCord's book, uh, Metaprogramming Elixir. And at that point, I had it in my mind about you know, trans transpiling Elixir to JavaScript um, based off of uh, Closure Script. You know, transpiling Closure to to JavaScript. Right. And so, looking at uh, Chris McCord's book, Metaprogramming Elixir, I saw. You know, that was the first time I I got an idea of like what, how macros work, um, the Elixir AST, all of that. And so it it just I had some time off and I just started going down this like rabbit hole of seeing if it was possible to do something. And I saw that it was, and I just kept going with it. Gotcha. Yeah. It's always nice to have a project like that to kind of pick up a more abstract concept like macros and ASTs. And... Yeah. Right. Right. And so it's been something that I, I probably worked way too much on. <laughs> like I would definitely feel like every day just working on it. It was, it was, it was like a, it's like a fun, like puzzle, like how in the world do you take this one language that is built like for this specific environment and then make it so that you can run it in this other environment that, you know, they aren't really compatible at all. How far did you get with processes? I know you were working on it for, for a while. Yeah. 
So I there is a library if anybody wants to use it in JavaScript that I created. Um, it's in the Elixir script organization. I think it's called Processes, where I took some um, inspiration from a couple of places, like um, I think Closure Scripts implementation of Core Async and some other things, and made a process library that you know it has a scheduler. You can have processes. Each process is each process is basically um, a generator, and so the scheduler just takes each like step, like yield step with a generator, and it decides which process, um, you know, which yield on the which process to run next. So it it's kind of like a, I guess a a fair scheduler or whatever. And so that kind of works in the JavaScript world, but I haven't figured out a way how to like inject that within uh, Elixir script. So that's that's kind of where I'm I'm at with that. Do you have any plans to move this over to WebAssembly? Um, I look I've I've been looking into WebAssembly. Um, and it's something that's come up um a lot recently. And I am trying to figure out how to do that like maybe it's a it'd be a good idea to do the the Erlang's uh you know standard library part having that into WebAssembly um Mm -hmm. I just wonder like what what changes would happen have to happen within Elixir script what changes would have to happen within Elixir and then sometimes I think I wonder if like some of these changes should happen within OTP, like if WebAssembly should be like a target for OTP. Um, right. And so the answer is, I don't know. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of places you can eject, you know, in like take that compilation step. And and then there's like the state of WebAssembly, which is, um, you know, there's a long way to go before you can, you know, do a lot with it. Mm-hmm. So I'm always looking into it. But right now, uh, no. So I see that you have an Elixir script React repo. I think Josh shared that in the chat. Um, one thing that I'm curious about is, um, does this lend itself more toward the models that React uses versus, say, Angular or Vue, which seem to be the other big players in the JavaScript framework space? I think so. So I wrote that um, kind of looking more into what um, Elm does, basically. Um, so if you look at the examples there, they kind of look a lot like um, you know things you do in Elm. That did pique my interest. Yeah. I would think it, they would be more useful for things like you know, React. I am starting to get into Vue a little bit more. Um, and I was actually wondering how that would work um, if there's a way to to do that because you know with Vue you don't have to you know you you write your your HTML in like you know in a template or you can use HTML that's already in like an HTML file and you can give you you know the the element and it can go from there so I'm pretty sure you can use it in that way um, I just haven't um, did anything like that just yet gotcha I will what say are your that, thoughts oh sorry go on now, I will say that, uh, you know, one of the things I'm realizing a lot is that, you know, JavaScript um, 
it's not an object oriented language, but there there are a lot of classes. Um, so doing things like like you can you can create new classes, like you can instantiate new objects with Elixir script, but you can't like create classes per se. And so that can that's some that's like one of the uh, that's one of the hindrances hindrances to doing things like uh, maybe doing something like Angular does. Right. Yeah. Angular uses, or at least the the main examples out there use TypeScript and classes and annotations and things like that. And I I don't know how well those translate over. Right. But Vue, I think, is pretty flexible that way. So I could I don't see why you shouldn't be able to jump in that way. Yeah. When I when I write React, I I pretty much prefer everything to just be a function as well. So. I don't see it yeah. being a real big hindrance on the React side. I'm curious, you mentioned the usability was like where you're spending your, your brain time right now. I, I wonder if you have kind of a, a general high-level outline of like things that you're considering. I think the big thing is possibly requiring like Node to be, um, you know, something that script requires. I've been avoiding it for the longest. Like, you know, one of the things I had to do with script was I had to create a library that would take, you know, the JavaScript AST and turn it into JavaScript code. There are definitely libraries in in Node that already do that, um, but I have the if but if I didn't want to have a requirement on Node, then you know I had to build I had to build one in Elixir. The reason I say Node um, is in order to use something like like Webpack maybe, or, you know, some of those JavaScript tools to take the output and um, bundle it up in certain ways so that people don't have to worry about um, doing it themselves, like, you know, setting up Webpack or, or Babel or any of that kind of stuff themselves and just having something that returns, you know, JavaScript in a format that's usable, like, immediately. Yeah, I mean, my gut says if somebody's coming for Elixir script, then they're comfortable enough with Node that having it as a dependency isn't really a problem. I hope so, like, because uh, I'm really thinking about doing it. Yep. Um, so that's the big thing as far as usability. Um, just getting around, you know, just having, you know, to have, not have people, you know, run into, you know, JavaScript issues. And... Um, Basically, not having them complain to me about it. <laughs> One solution to that is you can just be really abrasive anytime someone complains. <laughs> I can. I've been told I should like try not to avoid conflict. I don't know. I know it's. I know it's a big issue. Like even in the JavaScript world itself, like you have, you have Webpack, which I'm perfectly fine with. But I knew there. I know. I do know there's like issues um, with it, um, to the point where you know. There's now other things like uh, like Parcel that you know takes away all those all those things so that you can just get up and running quickly. Yeah, the latest Webpack does a pretty good job of that, though. It does, and I'm, I'm glad it's getting better. Is there a Webpack plugin for Elixir Script? Um, there was at one point um, with the old way of com- of that compilation worked, but with the new way, there isn't really like a way to use Elixir Script outside of you know a mixed project. So no. One other thing that I've seen, for example, with Opal, which translates Ruby to JavaScript, and I'm trying to think, I think there's a Python one, I can't remember what it's called, 
but there are a handful of these out there that translate uh, one language and basically transpiles it into JavaScript. And a lot of those, they have limitations. There are things that if you're very familiar with the base language, in this case, Elixir, there are going to be things that you cannot do with the JavaScript version. Are there, are there some of those things that are going to throw people off with Elixir script if they're very deeply knowledgeable about Elixir? Um, I think the only limitation is processes, honestly. So you can't use those. And there's also, so you can't use, you know, Erlang mm-hmm. functions. Technically, you can use the ones that are defined within the you know, Erlang compatibility layer, um, but don't do that. <laughs> um, let's see what else. So yeah, processes. Um, yeah, pro- processes. Or oh, sorry, you can you can go on. No, processes. OTP in Erlang functions basically are the things that um, when you're running a Linux script, you can't you can't use. Yeah, I was gonna say like the idea of having supervisors and gen servers is kind of the like that would be that would be pretty fantastic to be able to build my JavaScript applications in in that style that I'm very familiar with. It would be. Maybe one day uh, it can happen. Can you not even fudge that on Node where you'd spin up a new JavaScript process? It's, I mean, there are things you can do in Node, but uh, I, I, I don't go to Node for, for sort of reliability. <laughs> and and uh, that's kind of what, what this is about. Uh, so I don't know. Um, yeah, so I think uh, that's the thing is that that's why that process library uses generators because, you know, the... The model that Ar- that Erlang uses it, it isn't based on you know how many threads you have or whatever. It's you know it's scheduling functions and it can do that whether it's like you know one thread or like I don't know eighteen threads. I mean, so, ultimately, you just have some number of schedulers that get the work distributed to them. Right. So I think it. I mean, it's possible with enough work, and like I've I've done some experiments and. Sometimes it makes me think: is is this a good idea? But I would think I would think the biggest hurdle is like the the concept of um, what are they called reductions, right? Like everything, and I don't really know how you would map. Like the the way that the Erlang scheduler works is the virtual machine tracks reductions, and it seems like it would be a ridiculous amount of effort to to get that sort of same thing going on in your scheduler. But I don't yeah. know. There may be there may be better ways, but I would I would imagine occasionally be really easy to make, you know, the equivalent of a dirty FFI or something that, that just blocked the scheduler for a long time. Uh, yeah, so the, actually that processes library, um, it does the reductions, and each reduction is basically, you know, a yield point. So if you have a certain number, you like you can yield in a generator a certain number of times, and that scheduler will count that. And once it gets to that, you know, that, that number, then it switches over to the next uh, quote-unquote process. Yeah, I think I, I guess I think like um, you know when you're writing Erlang or Elixir, you don't have to think about that part because the reductions are counted uh, just by virtue of the, the underlying VM functions that you're that are being mapped to. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it seems like that would be a lot of bookkeeping for anybody writing a, a process. Yeah, and that's another one of the things where I'm wondering uh, what would happen if this was compiled to like WebAssembly, like at the OTP part. I mean the you know the Erlang slash OTP part. Um, what what would you get from that? Uh, would you get the scheduler for free, and could you could you use that with JavaScript functions? Yeah, I would. I would think you would. Uh, I, I don't know about with JavaScript functions part, but I would think at least the sort of the Erlang calls you'd get the scheduling for free because ultimately they'd have to. I, mean, I think they'd have to put a VM in there, but I don't really know. Yeah. 
Has anyone? Do you know of anyone that's just tried to compile Erlang via Imscript? I think uh, somebody came into the Elixir Script channel at one point, maybe a year or two ago, that said they tried it, but I don't remember who it was, and I can't remember how far they got. So uh, basically, some person somewhere tried it. I don't know anybody else who has. I just posted a link to someone named Ivan Kozik who was uh, mentioning in the Imscript an issue that he couldn't compile Erlang in 2016. So maybe, I don't know, maybe the same guy. It might be. Was there anything else that we should have asked that we didn't? I, I have another question, which is unrelated to Elixir Scripts, and that is, that is broadly, what are, you, what are you most interested in aside from Elixir Script right now? Like, what are you working on project-wise that, that tickles your fancy? Oh, so right now, I think the biggest project um, I'm kind of interested in is Stellar. Like, I'm not too big in the cryptocurrencies, but Stellar is the first one that I like. I actually understand, and the API seems like it's something that you can use today. And so it's something also my uh, my company is getting into as well. And so I'm writing an Elixir client for for the Stellar um, API, and also um, so I have that, and that's available on Hex. And what I'm trying to do right now with it actually is have a way to to post transactions, like um, build up the they call it XDR that it uses. So build that up in like you know some kind of Elixir friendly way, and then post that. Um, so Stellar, like the Elixir Stellar client, that's one thing I'm I'm into right now. And then I'm always into geospatial things. So I have the library uh, Geo. That's actually was my very first Elixir package ever created and it's used by a lot of people and um we're using it here at my at my um at my job now a lot so it's it's and i've all most of my career has actually been like around geospatial things and so i'm always interested in that very cool do you do if you write elixir script do you generally test it with javascript testing tools or elixir testing tools oh uh both i'm glad you brought that up so the last version I put out, I, I, I kind of wanted a testing story around Elixir Script. So one of the things that I did in the last version was create like a testing framework for, for Elixir Script. Um, for most of the code you write in Elixir Script that, you know, that, that doesn't touch JavaScript, you can just use, you know, XUnit, it, um, everything, you know, that works just fine. Um, this is basically for when you have, you know, Elixir script code that interacts with JavaScript. So you can use that. And it has an interface very close to um, what XUnit does. And it gives you output that is pretty close to what XUnit has. And it uses Node to run um, the test. But there is a way, like, I made it so that you can, you know, add hooks to it so somebody could possibly one day write something where you can run the test in the browser as well. Nice. Now all we need is something like Meteor.js, except it's Elixir, you know, Phoenix on the back end and Elixir script on the front end, right? I thought about that. <laughs> something like that, actually. I forget the name of the package right now. I'll look it up. But... From Dan McGuire. Right. I think it's, yeah. Is that Drab or something yeah, else? that's it. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah, I'm really interested in Drab. Um, just from... So we have a lot of, um, so it seems like most web frameworks are, you know, like, uh, was it NVC? I can't remember if it was push or pull NVC. Um, 
But I remember the one from from Scala that I can't think of the name of right now. Is it is it Lyft? Is that is that the one? Um, where you basically write, you know, tags in your HTML and then that information will be sent to the to the server. So like for that small like that section of your of your HTML, it like can do some stuff on the on a server and then bring put the information back into the into the client. Drive kind of reminds me of that and I'm kinda of glad that it exists. Cool. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. My my stupidest dream is to have you seen Alchemy, which uh, compiles Elm to Elixir essentially? I did. Uh, my dumbest dream is is to use Alchemy to compile Elixir and then compile that to Elixir script. So Elm to the web, not via Elm compiler for no good reason. <laughs> we can make that happen. All right. Well, if we don't have any more questions, let's go ahead and do some picks. Josh, do you want to start us off with picks? I can do that. Um, so there's a, a paper that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop in chat uh, called Capabilities 101. That's really, really cool if you're uh, familiar with the sort of the capabilities model that uh, Mark Miller, I guess, was uh, the progenitor of, or at least uh, his, his thesis was, was on it. And he has the e-programming language, um, eWrites.org. Uh, this is kind of a 101 intro to, to capabilities, which are, uh, you, they can replace like access control lists, or they're just a better way of, of handling permissions on things when it comes to revoking or, or chaining permissions. Anyway, really cool. Also, not related to Elixir, but I'd love to see an Elixir library that implements capabilities nicely. Um, and really, that's, uh, that's, I think, all I have this week. All right, Justin, what are your picks? So there's this really nice micro bank, uh, benchmarking library called Benchy for Elixir that'll pop into the chat as well. And uh, I use this to just benchmark uh, speeds of functions and, and uh, performance and things. But they've recently introduced memory usage by function as well, which is like a really useful uh, functionality. And then outside of Elixir, um, I have to go with the new God of War. I don't know if there's any PlayStation 4 players in the audience, but uh, the new PS4 <clears throat> God of War game is just absolutely phenomenal. So I highly recommend that. Awesome. Uh, I'll jump in with a few picks. Uh, one of them is a game I've been playing for a while. Um, I've played it on my iPad, my phone. It's also on Steam. It's called Star Realms. It's a, it's a card game. And you 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 know you push the cards around with your mouse or your finger um, to play, but it's it's fun. I've really enjoyed that. Um, I was in Vale a couple weeks ago. I went out and spoke at an Angular event, and um, yeah, the the corporate uh, owner who went up to Vale with me, uh, we wound up playing Star Realms for like two or three hours, and it, it's it's a ton of fun. You can get a bunch of expansions, um, but yeah, really been enjoying that. So I'm going to pick Star Realms. Uh, Brian, what are your picks? I have probably way too many. So one of the things I've had trouble with throughout my uh, programming life is parsers and like trying to understand them. And I saw, you know, parser combinators and they they seem pretty simple on the surface. And this weekend I played around with Numble Parsec. It's by Platform Tech to parse some files and it works out pretty well. So check that out if you need to write a parser. The book Adopting Elixir, it's a really good book on Elixir. It might be, it's getting pretty close to like my favorite Elixir book. So it has, you know, case um, studies from people who have moved from, you know, transitioned to using Elixir in their companies. 
and it also has very useful information for, you know, specific things that you would use, you know, within, you know, um, your company when you, when you, like challenges you run into with Elixir. So for instance, when you're hiring Elixir developers, you know, or just hiring developers in general, um, code consistency, uh, deployments, it's a really good book. And I, I think, um, you know, people should check it out. I am also, this is my shameless plugs um, section. I am co-organizing an Elixir conference in New Orleans in November. It's called The Big Elixir. You can get more information at thebigelixir.com. And one of the panelists here, Josh Adams, is going to be the keynote speaker. Wait, what? I love that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Josh Adams, the keynote speaker. Um, And registration and the CFP are both open right now. So um, go check that out. And then I want to give a shout out to my my company, Ruffery Labs, which um, we are currently hiring um, Elixir developers right now. So go to ruffery.co and you can apply there if you're looking to get into working with, in with Elixir. Awesome. All right. Well, Brian, are, if people want to see what you're working on these days or keep track of the progress on Elixir Script, what are the best ways to do that? I'm assuming you're on Twitter and GitHub, and maybe you have a blog or something? Um, mostly Twitter and, and GitHub. Like, I have a blog, but I, I literally set it up and never wrote in it. So that, um, That's what a blog is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Twitter, um, twitter.com slash brianjos, and, uh, you know, github.com slash brianjos. So those, that's Twitter, um, GitHub, and you can catch me in, like, the Elixir um, Slack as well. Nice. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you all for coming. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Uh, man. And we will catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.